Katie here. Welcome to The Bittersweet Life. If you're like me, you're always interested in hearing about a new podcast. Well, here's one I would suggest. Growing up mixed race, Charmaine Fury says she never completely fit in. Generally, I got to be black if I was around black people. You know, someone might say you won't understand because you're not all the way black. I didn't necessarily get to be Japanese around Japanese people. And despite having two white grandparents, I was never a white person. So that meant finding home was hard. That's coming up in season four of Two Lives. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, Tiffany, I don't even know what we're talking about today. <laughs> You're telling me yes. something. Yes. And I'm going to we, respond. This is just proves how spontaneous and unplanned our show sometimes is. I had an encounter this morning, mm. which was definitely memorable and a little bit upsetting. And not nothing, nothing terrible, as I will tell you. Okay. So I should start out by saying we have talked in the past about the idea of when as an expat do you get to criticize your adopted country? How long is long enough that you've been living there that you get to start, you know, complaining? Because, you know, it's a fine line and you have to be careful. You chose to live there. You are a guest there, at least until you become a citizen. But even then, I still feel like I'm kind of Italy allowed me to come here. So we've talked about that. This is almost the opposite. So what happened today was I went to the hairdresser for the first time in ages <laughs> and it's a very like small family run hair salon. And I know the owner and his mom works there and like his wife is the other, you know, it's just all family. And so I know them pretty well, I've been going there for years and I'm sitting there and the owner of the shop is foiling my hair. He's putting my highlights in basically. And this woman comes in a client and she I wasn't even paying attention really at first because I was reading. I'm very absorbed in the, this book that I'm reading right now. I could tell that she was talking about Biden and Trump. I mean, she wasn't talking about them so much as individuals as she was talking about. I only really heard the second half of what she was saying, but I knew it had something to do with starting a war. And she was going on and on about how, oh, everyone said Trump was such a bad president, but he never tried to start a war and that, that, that. First of all, I don't care what her politics are. I don't. Secondly, uh, Biden's not starting a war, but go ahead. Secondly, Biden's not starting a war <laughs> at, <Yeah. laughs> at all. And then, you know, so I was just like, okay, whatever. You know, I'm just, I'm just ignoring it. I don't generally get into arguments with people over politics, especially people I don't know. And she said, it's not that it's a country of hypocrites. It's a, it's a populace. It's like the, all the people are hypocrites there, you know, just grouping 360 million people into one group, you know, and they're all hypocrites. And she said a couple of other things and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you can insult my president. You can insult my former president. You can criticize American politics all you want, but you insult every single one of my countrymen. Oh no. <laughs> and I just, I just said, Oh, have you spent a lot of time in the United States? Of course, I have my mask on, you know, and I've got my hair full of basically tinfoil. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm looking horrible, obviously. She was really surprised and taken aback. I don't think she noticed my accent. 
because there's music playing and I have my mask on. She's like, oh, I've spent some time there. Yeah. I was like, oh, you, you must know the country really well. And I think that was when she said it. She said, yeah, oh, yeah, it's a country full of hypocrites. And she kept going on and on and on. And, and the hairdresser was, I just felt him like sort of tap me on the shoulders and like, don't worry. Like, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I hadn't said anything up to that point, but I couldn't, I couldn't let it stand. And I said, you know, I'm American. And her eyes went wide, but she didn't back down. She didn't back down. And I mean, it's not like we got into, you know, a fight, but, <laughs> yeah. but we did, you know, we did have a few words, but the reason that it, it made me start thinking about an episode was, you know, for so much of my life, I live my life as, as basically an Italian. I mean, I'm very aware that I'm not a native Italian and I'm very aware that there is something different between me and for example, the other moms at my son's school or my in-laws, you know, there's, there's something different. I am not a native, even though I am legally Italian. I wasn't born here. I didn't grow up here. And that never really leaves me. I don't think for it as an expat, unless you move somewhere when you're like six or something, I don't think that that ever leaves you, but I do spend so much of my life living as an Italian, speaking Italian, dealing with Italian people, living a very Italian way of life, very adapted to the culture. When I go to the United States, I feel very out of place. I criticize the United States plenty. I criticize Americans plenty. But there was something that just, oh, it was like someone insulting your mom. You know, like mm -hmm. I can go on and on and on about my mom, but you do not get to talk bad about my mom. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, once you actually decided to say something about being an American to her, did any good come of it? No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I was not in the mood or the headspace to have an actual conversation that might have been interesting to both of us and not, you know, I think because of the way it started, it started argumentatively. And I don't know that it could have the tone, the tension could have been brought down. It wasn't like she walked in there and she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I have this American friend and, you know, she's a slob or wh whatever, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> uh, it was like the whole country it painted with one brush, which is absurd. I mean, we talk so much about the regionalism of Italy on this uh -huh. show as well, just how different life and people can be from the north end to the south end. <clears throat> and, mm -hmm. you know, of course, with the United States being even larger I don't know how many people in Italy have traveled from, you know, pole to pole in Italy, from north to south, but our country's so big, even I, who travel quite a bit, who have taken so many road trips, haven't seen every state in the Union. I'm close. I haven't even seen half of them. I've only seen, I've seen literally like about 22. Yeah. And in fact, my hairdresser was like, yeah, you, you after I said, I said something, I said, you know, you can't, <laughs> you can't call an entire country of 360 million people that, that they're all, you know. And he said, yeah, it's true. It's like saying all Europeans are the same. It's like saying a Spaniard is the same as a Latvian. It's just, they're so far apart physically, culturally that, you know, how could you group them all together? You couldn't. Yeah. But what is, but, what is at uh, the heart of this issue though? I mean, besides the fact that you can't talk about my mom that way. I mean, was that it? Was it just that you are always going to be a slightly out of place Italian liver and America, the United States is your home. I don't know that it is though. I know. It's not my home. The United States isn't my home. It's my home country. Mm -hmm. It's not my home anymore. And I don't feel 
at home there right now. That doesn't mean if I didn't move there and start putting down roots there that I wouldn't get back to feeling it at home there. Right now, when I go visit, I don't feel like that's my home. I love it, but it's not my home. But it's something about, I must be some kind of latent patriotism that I, you know, all of us Americans have most anyway, a certain amount of patriotism. It's yes. just like beat into us. Yes, for those of, of you who didn't grow up in the United States, it is part of schooling, I feel, especially in elementary school. Yeah. You are to feel patriotic. They give you Love a very country. strong notion that the United States might be the best country in the whole world, <laughs> which, you know, as you get older is, eh, I don't know strange <laughs> to, yeah to try to be like you know and you know who's cool the united states is cool in fact they're cooler you know, than everybody else <laughs> it's just kind of you know what gets ridiculous. me you know what gets me when i listen to i listen to a lot of um political podcasts and stuff and i sometimes i listen to these interviews <clears throat> with people who are they're not just regular people you know they're either extremely well-qualified and experienced journalists who cover politics or they're people who are actually working in politics as you know congress people or staffers of them and and so often these people who you know are extremely smart extremely well-read they know a lot about the world they will say the same thing and i'm talking about americans and they'll say you know this country is a, it's a free country it's as if other countries aren't they're like that's what's so great about america we're a free country we choose our leaders and i'm like do you think that other countries don't choose your leader their own leaders and do you think that there are no other you know quote unquote free countries in the world well I've always that's what gets me it's not the american exceptionalism because i think actually there are a lot of exceptional things about america but that thing is not exceptional yeah that's very common actually well and that may that may not be what they mean they're not saying it's the only free country in the world, but they're saying it's great because it's a free country. But I don't know that they're necessarily saying, like, look at us, we're the only free country. So like I said, I'm totally open to criticizing the U.S. I feel like when you, I'm really looking at this from an outside perspective, for the most part, on an individual level, when you meet Americans, and now I'm going to group them all together. Just I like just feel like, <laughs> just like they did. Yeah, just like that woman. But like, Americans are so nice. Like they really are. They really are for like the most part, unless you're like in a really heated situation, they're going to be nice. That's true. You know, everybody complains about Americans abroad and the ugly Americans. And But actually as a tour guide working in Europe, Americans are the best. Like they're the best tourists. They're the only ones who tip. Mm. They're friendly. They're like so ready to have a good time. They're just great. You know, they, they probably won't speak the language, but neither do the Brits and neither do the French, you know, so they're generally nice and they spend money. So, so maybe the bigger question here is you've been now living in Italy for the last, what, almost 17 years, something like Over that? Over 17 years. Over 17 years. Yeah. So at what point do your allegiances switch or do they? Maybe they never do. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what made me really think today because I was really offended as an American and on behalf of my fellow Americans, you know, it's just like, oh, you're insulting all my family, all my closest friends. I don't know if the shoe were on the other foot, how I would feel. I think that I would definitely defend Italy if someone in a different country were saying something like that about quote unquote, all Italians. 
but I don't know if I would have felt so strongly as I did in that moment. Hmm. So maybe, maybe there's something that just, you can't, as long as you spent your entire childhood in a place and part of your adulthood, I don't think you can ever truly wipe that out. Well, and I wonder if it touches on something deep in you that is that feeling of that you'll never truly assimilate, no matter how good your Italian gets, no matter how much you raise a family there, there's a little part of you that will always feel like you are other. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think so. For me personally, I can't speak for other people, but I don't necessarily think that I, I want to 100% assimilate. Right. I don't, I would rather be a little bit of both or half of both than all of one or all of the other. Mm -hmm. uh, even if that makes me out of place in both places, I can't imagine, you know, they use the term going native, like uh, going so native that like you speak to your children in your second language. I know people who do that. They, you know, they're Americans or, you know, maybe British or something and they're raising children and they speak to their children in Italian. I could never do that. You know, I want my kid to have, you know, the American side to him. I want him to have the language, speak it, culturally feel that he is American. So in that sense, no, not for me. I do wonder, and I mean, I don't want to go back to our expat versus immigrant conversation because we've talked about that a lot, but there are people when they truly, truly immigrate to a place that they give up their citizenship of their first country mm -hmm. and they you know, when someone says, you know, where are they from? Where are you from? They say, you know, like, let's say they're traveling. Let's say it's someone from India who has moved to the UK and they, they're in America. And someone says, where are you from? And they say, I'm from the UK. I wonder for me, would I ever say I'm from Italy? I don't know. I mean, the US is made up of people who did that. That's the other thing about yeah. the United States is that almost everybody here gave up a citizenship from somewhere to be here. Well, I mean, our ancestors, some of us did, and some of us had ancestors who did. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying somewhere along the line. Yeah. With the exception of the Native Americans. Right. Everybody else here essentially assimilated, whether they chose to say that, say that they did or just as the generations pass, it naturally occurs. Like, for instance, Aurelio, your son, is going to say, I'm from Italy. Mm -hmm. And that'll be what he truly feels. He might feel yeah. that he is special because he's also from the United States, of the United States, I guess, not from, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but of, but he will say he's from Italy. So it almost naturally occurs. But it's an interesting thought to think about the people who moved somewhere else and absolutely decided that they are yeah. now from this new place versus people who, you know, always were of the two and then slowly that falls away from the generations. And then you have the ancestors trying to reconnect <laughs> reconnect with the, uh, the roots that they lost. I feel like you also see that a lot. In fact, there's a conversation that I think we're going to air next Monday that I had, a, had with the author Charmaine Wilkerson about her new fiction book. It's fiction called Black Cake, but we do talk a little bit about that, you know, trying to recover your ancestry, when it's not been something you've been raised with, which is another interesting thing. Or maybe you were raised with just a hint of it. You knew some of the traditional dishes that your parents grew up with, but that's all you know about where they came from. Yeah, that's kind of my case. 
I knew my mom's mom was Italian. She had been born in America to immigrants. And it was just enough removed from me that a lot of the culture had been lost. The language had been completely lost. The last names had been changed. Even the religion had changed. You know, they were had become Protestant as opposed to Catholic. But I nevertheless, I I felt something. I, I had that desire to to go deeper and to to study that those roots. Did you look into look your- where it led me? I mean, that's a deep desire if I ever saw one. <laughs> but I mean, did what what did that look like though? Did that mean you researched who your great great grandparents were, or is that more like you decided to find out what it was like to live in Italy and maybe imagine what their lives were before they moved away? Both. We knew through other relatives who had gone before us and done the research. We found the names. My mom, I remember her showing me written on a piece of paper, like just scrawled down the names of these. I want to say there were five or seven siblings. My great grandfather was one and his brother and his, he, these two young, these two men had married two sisters. So there were two brothers and two sisters who were married. And those were the, the four who, who left and who moved to, uh, to America and their siblings who stayed I met their descendants and they're my second cousins and my third cousin. So yes, we, we started to learn their names and we saw how their original name, my grandmother's maiden name, Lungo, had actually been Ialungo. And I loved that. I loved, I loved how the fact that my, my great grandfather, who I met when I was really little, but was probably dead by that time that I was learning about it, that his name, we always called him Alec, but his name had been Alessandro. Or and no, he was the other brother. I guess it was Enrico. They called him Henry, but his name had been en- Enrico. And I think I guess Alessandro was his son. And I loved that. And and then yeah, I just started studying the language and the music. I mean, that, that was the same period that I got into opera. Hmm. And you know, opera being an Italian, I would look at the words of these songs and try to figure out what they meant. It's all connected. Do you know why they moved, why they left Italy and moved to the United States? We kind of know, it's not totally clear, but at, they were farmers. And at a certain point, I think there was some, okay, this is basically what happened. My great-grandfather, his wife, he and his wife had a baby and uh, they both had to work. I don't know if there was like a famine going on or so, for some reason she had, who had my great-grandmother, although she had just given birth, like they really needed her to work in the fields. And so she left her baby with the only woman who wasn't going to work because she was sick <laughs> to nurse her baby and the baby died. The baby got sick and died. Mm. And this is, I mean, this is the story that has sort of been told how much it's true. I don't know, but the, I bet apparently they said, that's it. You know, we're not gonna, we're, we gotta go try to make our fortune elsewhere where these things don't happen. And uh, so the two brothers packed up before their wives, they went to New York and got jobs on the railway and they worked across the country on the railway. This was like, I think 1917. And yeah, they finally got to some farmland in Eastern Washington. And that's when they finally sent for their wives and they were farmers in Eastern Washington and they owned their own farms. I mean, that's an American dream. Wow. How interesting. I was thinking while you were saying that there, I don't remember any names of episodes here, but when we had our intern Estrella on the show and she talked about how her parents 
were the first generation immigrants to the United States. And I could be getting this slightly wrong, but how dismayed in a way they were when Australia decided <laughs> to move to Italy for a time, you know, to, to uh, go away from the thing that they worked so hard to give to their children. To give her. Yeah, yeah. And of course she's back in the United States, but I always thought that that was very interesting too, that, you know, that idea of seeking a better life of some kind and then wanting to pass that on to your children. And then, of course, your children will do whatever it is that they're going to do, I suppose. Yeah, I know. And my son could turn around and move back to the U.S. Or maybe he'll decide to go to Southeast Asia. I mean, who knows? <laughs> we don't know what his interests are going to be. And, and, of course, what his means are going to be, like what he'll do for a living or or any of that. But if this show continues on for long enough, we'll find out. Oh, he, he already so decided he wants to start his own podcast. The Aurelio Show. The Aurelio Show. Mm. But no, but he also wants to be an emperor. So the Emperor Aurelio Show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ever since we went to the Napoleon Museum, he wants to be an emperor. Well, I would like to hear uh, the pilot episode of that show if you want to ask him to put it on. So we can put it I as tried. a Thursday I episode. I tried. <laughs> but he got embarrassed. So he's, it's still it's still in the workshopping stage. Right. It's percolating. Yeah. Well, that's all very interesting. But I guess we'll leave it there. There's no conclusions here. I'm sorry no. you had to get in a fight with some random woman at the hairdresser. That's this okay. That's okay. I, luckily, I had such a good book that I was able to just totally drown myself in it. And I'm almost done. I'm going to go finish it right now. Well, now everyone's like, what's the book before you go? Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's called The Tortoise and the Hare by Elizabeth Jenkins. It is enthralling. It's very, it's a very quiet story, but it's, it's really good. Really, okay. Really good. Okay. And before we go, just want to remind you that on March 12th, Saturday, March 12th, we are going to be doing a live Zoom meetup, international meetup. Uh, we're mm -hmm. going to be doing it at 9 a.m. in the United States Pacific Coast time. So if you're in Seattle, West Coast-ish area, 9 a.m. Roman time is going to be 6 p.m. And to just give you something in the middle, if you're in New York, East Coast time, it's going to be at noon. The rest of you figure it out figure it out <laughs> <laughs> but either way we hope that you will come we will be sending invitations out to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast there's a link in the show notes there's also one at the bittersweetlife.net we'll also be inviting longtime regular donors people who donate every single month through paypal and some of you have been around for a really long time. Thank you so much. You're really the only reason we're still here. And also major donors, people who do a one-time donation, sometimes just once, sometimes once a year, but they give a significant amount of money. And so you will also be invited uh, because this, this is art and art is not free. And so we want to celebrate those of you who support the show and keep it going. If you're not in those three groups and you really want to come, Tiffany, what should they do? Well, you can just join us on Patreon. That's the easiest way. If you visit patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast, you can sign up for as little as $5 a month and you'll be invited. Yes. Or go through PayPal and make a donation or a regular donation. I get notified, by the way, if it's a monthly donation. So if you want to donate every month, but you don't want to go through Patreon, I'll know. You just check them monthly box. 
Ah, yes. Cool. Um, and yeah, we can't wait to see you guys there. Uh, it'll be really fun. It's, it's always fun to fun. see your faces. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Bye.